the best advice I got at the time I remember was just there's no right or wrong decision you've just got to make a decision and just go for it and make it work for yourself information on the internet is crap and there's a sea of misinformation and the first step of gaining control and really like feeling empowered to take control is better information so that you can actually make decisions about your own health being fearless isn't the absence of fear being fearless is taking actions in spite of fear welcome to the seize the yay podcast Busy and happy are not the same thing. We too rarely question what makes the heart sing. We work, then we rest, but rarely we play and often don't realise there's more than one way. So this is a platform to hear and explore the stories of those who found lives they adore. The good, bad and ugly, the best and worst day will bear all the facets of seizing your yay. I'm Sarah Davidson, or Spoonful of Sarah, a lawyer turned fun entrepreneur who swapped the suits and heels to co-found Matcha Maiden and Matcha Milk Bar. Seize the Yay is a series of conversations on finding a life you love and exploring the self-doubt, challenge, joy and fulfilment along the way. Welcome back, beautiful people. I hope you've been looking after yourselves and enjoying the very beginnings of restrictions being eased. I don't know about you, but I'm equal parts very excited and also a little anxious. I've kind of adapted to being more of a homebody and have been dearly missing people, but also loving being away from people and living behind the microphone. Speaking of behind the microphone, this week we've got another way to yay full of twists and turns ending up nowhere our guest thought she'd be, but exactly where she was meant to be. Nicole Liu started out on the very conventional financy pathway, climbing, much like me, a ladder she thought she was genuinely passionate about. That was until a misdiagnosis of polycystic ovary syndrome and the similarly inaccurate news that she was necessarily infertile threw her world upside down and opened her eyes to the difficulty of wading through information on women's health and how alone many of us feel trying to navigate it. Her experience led her to leave her corporate career behind and start her wonderful business, Kin Fertility, with the goal of raising standards for women's reproductive health and opening up the heavily stigmatized conversation around fertility. I am continually baffled by how even a chronic sharer of a modern woman like me, particularly one that was adopted and should know all about fertility challenges, can have lasted as long as I did without knowing much at all about my cycle or the fundamentals of hormones and fertility, and I loved chatting to Nicole about blazing a trail in the industry and opening up the dialogue. As the first of many services Kin will offer, they currently run Australia's first pill prescription service with the contraceptive pill being delivered to your door, letting you ditch the in-person doctor's appointment without compromising quality healthcare. I am so excited for what else is to come and also loved her advice, which I have thus far been unable to offer anecdotally, on getting immigrant ethnic parents on board with a big move away from the stability of a corporate career. So for those asking, Nicole has your answer. I hope you enjoy. Nicole, welcome to the show. Hello, how are you going? I'm well, how are you? The very first question I usually ask is a bit of an icebreaker, but I'm going to push another question in to ask how you are in these crazy times. I feel like we need to ask each other more and more. <laughs> yeah, I'm I'm doing good. Everything feels like it's finally starting to come back to normal, at least somewhat like where things shops open and like cafes open. And I went to brunch for the first time in like months Stop. with a real person with like real shashuka. Like, can you believe it? <laughs> <laughs> 
So I'm like, I'm incredibly excited. Oh my God. It's like, wait, I have mates. Oh my God. I'm not alone. I'm just... Like that unfurred. Yeah. <laughs> how are you? Yeah, really well. Thank you. I think um, it's interesting how we've reacted to the news that things are slowly coming back to life. Yeah. I thought I'd be so excited, but I've actually adjusted really well to the whole <laughs> new workflow. And now I'm like, wait, you want me to change again? Like, what is this? I've just gotten used to being really antisocial and I kind of really like it. And now I'm going to talk to people again. Like, I'm so confused. <laughs> what do I do with my life? I know. I didn't, like, I think once you change your routine once and then you get used to it, and then you have to change it all over again. You're like, I just oh my got into my system. Like, Come on, man. <laughs> so I'm like slightly hoping that this is the normal for a while because I actually want to like quickly sneak in a puppy into this whole routine. And I can only do it if I actually can stay home for a while for like the first two months or something. So I'm kind of hoping it'll just stay normal for a bit. Oh my God, do the puppy. It's like it's absolutely <laughs> essential for your mental health. Let me tell you. Exactly. Like- <laughs> I think it's cheaper than therapy, so I think I'll just do it and, like, it'll make me so happy. <laughs> Definitely cheaper than therapy. They are just such a joy. Like, Paul has literally got us through isolation. He's the best. Oh, that's so good. <laughs> so before we do actually kick off with the substantive questions, the icebreaker I mentioned before is just to ask everyone what the most down-to-earth thing is about them. And particularly when, you know, we live in a world where businesses, even newly launched businesses like your beautiful own business, we are... <laughs> Are introduced to them at the sort of finished product end of them and yet so much of the journey is not the finished product glossy mm. surface level yeah. <laughs> person so what's something really normal and relatable about you um so something pretty relatable maybe or like not so normal in Australia at least is that I so I'm like totally Aussie born and bred but I can't actually swim so um back in like <laughs> stop laughing so so Asian I'm like dude but like back in primary school when we all had like swim school and it was like basically mandatory I used to convince my teachers I always had my period and so I always was allowed to sit on the sidelines and just like watch people learn to swim and hopefully like by osmosis learn to swim but like never really knew how to so I can doggy paddle I can float I can like survive on a beach 10 meters into water but like I wouldn't be able to swim more than 10 meters Oh my God. Well, I'm very glad to know that you can at least doggy paddle. So you could kind of like get yourself out of a difficult situation. It's pretty impressive, right? And you live in Sydney. I'm like, how is that even possible? And I I like to think that I'm a beach girl as well. I love the beach. I love the water, but I can't do, I can't do much. You love like dabbling a toe into the water as you go on a long romantic walk on the beach. Basically, basically. Love it. Amazing. Amazing start. So the first section is called Way TA, which is exactly what it sounds like. Your way to the yay field life that you live now and that seems, you know, absolutely exactly where you're meant to be, full of purpose, but everyone is an overnight success 10, 20 years in the making. And I like to sort of go all the way back to the very beginning and Mm. talk through you know the decisions that led you to where you are talk about the angst that you feel when you're not sure what your direction (laughs) is and remind everyone that it's the path to joy is not linear it's not predictable definitely not certain it has lots of twists and turns so let's go back to very very young Nicole what were you like as a child what would you have guessed back then that you wanted to be you know ride secondary how did you (laughs) choose your subjects and what life did you envision for yourself 
Oh my God. Okay. So as a child, I had like heaps and heaps of parts that I thought I wanted to be. Like when I was in year 10, I remember so distinctly, I thought I was going to be a pastry chef. And you know how we had like work experience. I was like a kitchen hand for a restaurant um, near Marsfield, like a seafood restaurant. And I decided that I actually had zero skills in cooking. Um, <laughs> I had great skills in burning, but like not any skills in baking or cooking. Um, so I decided that wasn't for me. So no skills whatsoever that you no. needed. <laughs> no. Absolutely no skills. I at one point wanted to be a personal trainer, but I decided I wasn't actually fit enough at that time. And I also wanted to be a wedding planner. I don't know how I decided I didn't want to do that. Yeah, I don't know. We went through a lot of things. I guess like going back to my parents, they always started small businesses and always had their own businesses. And I was like always part of working within them. And so as part of that, like business was sort of in my blood and like I had always grown up around that. And they had always sort of like instilled this like, hey, go get a really safe job, something that was stable, something that would give you like financial security because it was something that they never had. Mm. Even though I had always been really hands-on in their businesses, like I would always sell things with them and I would like, they would just pay me like embroidered stuff at the factories and stuff with them. Um, And that was what I love to do. I love to build stuff. But because they like wanted more stability from me because that was what they never got. They wanted me to go into finance. They wanted me to go into like some sort of stable business career. So at uni, um, I ended up going into like a traditional, very traditional like commerce degree. (laughs) I find it so, so interesting how a lot of, you know, children who are brought up by immigrants have Mm. the most incredible work ethic and their parents (laughs) are the physical embodiment of entrepreneurialism, but then they they steer their kids so far away from that kind of agile, <laughs> adaptive environment yeah. because it, it isn't what they had and it's sort of grass is greener and they want so much to provide you stability. And it's so, so interesting to me that you still ended up backtracking somehow and getting back into business. <laughs> After a lot of convincing, but yes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Tell us about that conventional pathway. And you know that my story is quite similar, that I sort yeah. of started off in that very traditional conventional pathway would never regret it, learned so much Mm. from it, even though I didn't end up there. What was that degree like? You, like myself, did a lot of exchanges and and Mm. spent a lot of time overseas, which I I think is just the most incredible way to learn about the world and who you are, even if you don't know (laughs) where that will take you. And for you, I mean, Texas and Cambridge, like (laughs) such variety. What was that pathway and uni life into then actually taking up jobs in finance and then venture Mm -hmm. capital? Like what was that whole process like? Yeah. And when did you realize I've given it a go, but mm. I'm probably not going to stick with this. I'm going <laughs> to go back in, go back into business. <laughs> yeah. So I started in a very normal commerce degree. It was all stuff I really found interesting, right? Like business is stuff I've always found interesting. And I guess like I did a couple of years of that and I was part of this program called the co-op program. So as part of my uni degree, I actually had to do like full-time internships as part of my courses. So in the third year, I sort of got into like investment banking, pretty hardcore and like very like proper finance. And at the time I was like, oh my God, this is great. This is so challenging. This is what I want. Working hard is great. I had so much energy back then as well. I was like, great. I can like put all my energy into this. It's like awesome. I am killing it. (laughs) I was like, I know what this path looks like. It is very clear to me. Like, I think I like it. I think it's challenging. I think I'll learn a lot. I'm set. And so I'd sort of like done that and I was like okay great like I'm in the last part of my uni degree now like the last year I can probably do something 
different, especially if I believe that I'm probably going to do this for the next 10 years of my life. So why don't I try something a little bit different? And because I had already told my parents that I was going to do investment banking, they were like, okay, fine, you can do whatever, <laughs> whatever you want. And so I had like been lucky enough to stumble into venture capital, which was like part, I guess, finance analytical stuff, which I could like convince my parents was like, okay. Um, it's still all business and finance. It's the same thing. Yeah. <laughs> basically and like you use the same skills and it was all startups as well which was actually what I wanted to like try and, and so I tried that and I absolutely loved it like I think I was only supposed to stay for two months and I kind of just like didn't let go like I just kind of like stayed <laughs> just never left <laughs> like, yeah basically at, at one point they were like do you have leave accrued and I was like no I'm still a casual um and they're just like let me keep staying and I loved it like absolutely fell in love with the people I met, the founders I met. And I think the thing that was so different when I changed over, which is like people were so energetic and like so passionate about what they were doing. I've just never experienced this before. Like this doesn't make sense. The people I used to talk to in banking, like you didn't feel this sense of purpose and like passion. And I was just like, oh, okay. So this is what it's like when like people actually, I mean, to use your words, like find their yay yeah. um, and like actually find something they're passionate about and want to set change and like they want to change the world. And I was like, oh my God, this is so infectious. I don't know if I can go back. I started, <laughs> basically just started self-guessing myself. Um, I got to like maybe nine months into that internship and I was like, do I want to go back to corporate? Like I'm not actually too sure. But obviously like once you come out of uni, you really want something like stable. You want something more structured, like a structured training ground to like set the right foundations for yourself. And I guess I wanted that for myself. My parents wanted that for me. And I was like, okay, well, maybe I'll go out and get it. And I actually thought I was going to go back into banking. Funny enough, we had invested in a guy when I was in venture capital who had done banking and consulting. And he came up to me not knowing, well, like, I think he knew a little bit about me and like, I knew a little bit about him, but I hadn't actually met him. And he was like, hey, like I heard you're doing investment banking. You're going to go back. You're making the biggest mistake of your life. Um, and I was like, hi, like, nice to meet you. I'm Nicole. Wow. <laughs> Cheers. I mean, reassuring. What am I going to do? My life is falling down around me. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> And he was just like, so tell me what you want to do long-term. And I was like, well, I want to build a business. I want to, I think I want to stay in startups. Like this world has been amazing. I've loved it. Um, I might want to come back to venture capital. I don't know. And he was just like, great. How does investment banking fit into that? And then I was like, stunned. I was like, crap, I do not have a good answer for you anymore. And I used to be able to like justify it to myself. I was like, it's challenging. It's great. Like I'll have a very good like financial capital base. I don't know, to like start a business if I wanted to. But in that moment, I couldn't answer him. And I was like, Rap, like I'm going down the wrong path mm. and he was just like look like I get that you want to do something I don't know have more structured training around you so like why don't you consider consulting um which I had never heard of at that point and he was just like well it's this thing like you can learn business and you can learn <laughs> strategy and you'll learn operations and I was like yes yes maybe I, I guess so like and I dwelled on it for a whole day and I was like okay like what do I need to do to a like, whole day <laughs> <laughs> okay, before you go any further, just quickly, because I forget that, you know, coming from a legal background, these terms are all really familiar to me and mm -hmm. I can see the delineation of what is banking, what's venture capital, mm -hmm. what a lot of people don't know what equity markets are and don't actually like they, they're sort of not understanding what a big jump it is from one to the other. So mm -hmm. can you just quickly give us a, a high level summary of what you were doing in investment banking and why that's sort of more corporate and stable and and predictable, <laughs> what venture capital is and why it's a little bit more similar to startups and yeah. why that would whet your appetite for it. And then what management consulting is, which I know still most management <laughs> consultants can't actually explain to people, but just if you had to show yeah. that how different yeah. all those three pathways are, were, yeah, tell yeah. us. <laughs> okay. 
So investment banking is essentially like working with big corporations to raise money or raise debt, debt or equity to essentially fund the growth of their business. Um, and that can either be on like the public markets or the private markets, um, depending on where they want to go. Um, and it is very like super, super financy. Financy, I can say that, right? Yeah. Okay. And you're the advisor in that case. So like you're advising companies on how to raise money. From a VC, like when you're at venture capital, you are essentially the person providing that capital, like that money to startups and hoping to like join them on their growth journey. We used to describe it as like a marriage between a venture capital and a startup to essentially grow for the next seven to 10 years and really be part of their journey. So your job is really to like, almost like find a needle in a haystack um, and find that like company that is really going to grow and you really believe in and you really can help. Yeah. They're like at the very growth stage, like we would invest in companies that barely existed on paper and like just had a really great founder and a really great idea. And we were like, yes, we're going to back that. Mm -hmm. um, so very different. And then management consulting for the life of me, I still can't explain this to my mom, is essentially like <laughs> solving, <laughs> solving business problems. So yeah, I think the best explanation is like we just go into big corporates and solve whatever it is that they brought us to solve. So that can be anything between like pricing strategy, their five-year strategy on how they're going to respond to like changes in regulation or changes in the market and changes in competition. It could be like digitizing their whole platform and how they're going to really respond to like technological changes. It was a whole range of things, like <laughs> very, very different. The best way I can describe it to people, I think they hear consulting and they think, oh, you're just literally just giving advice, <laughs> like kind of high yeah. level advice. But it is so mathematical and financy. Like so <laughs> much of my friends who are consultants' lives is spent on Excel modeling. <laughs> things about outcomes that are like if a happens x happens in the bottom line <laughs> if y happens like everything is spreadsheeted and graphed up and it's pretty much <laughs> measuring your efficiencies in different things and you have to have like quite a, a heavy grip on the numbers to do it it's like mm. a very very mental gymnastics kind of job <laughs> more than you would expect yeah definitely yeah basically amazing well what a beautiful start then to your professional life ending up in consulting <laughs> yeah it was definitely uh definitely a journey and I think I love the other part of your story that it highlights that whole idea that you don't even have to know that a job exists for it to be the mm -hmm. right one for you to end yeah. up in. And it can take just one conversation with one person. Mm -hmm. You never know where that conversation is going to come from. You never know who it's going to be. This was someone you hadn't even met before. <laughs> yeah. But sometimes talking to as many people as you can is going to lead to these big ideas. Yeah. What happened after that conversation? Were you like, this stranger just told me to change my life completely. I'm going to do it. I remember so distinctly, like I stayed up, I reckon like past midnight and I texted him and I was like, I've thought about what you, you have to say. And I think I want to give it a go. Like, what do I have to do to make it happen? And he was just like, these are what the interviews are like. This is the application you've got to put in. Um, I'll put you in touch with this person. Literally the next day I applied, I think the next two weeks I um, had an interview and a month after that I got the offer and I was like, okay, I'm going to start and just like went for it. <laughs> Gosh. Again, it no, it doesn't sound stupid at all. This is the first step in your staircase. You didn't know where the staircase was going to lead to, but you took the first yeah. step. And again, you've had a whole life of preparing for finance. And then at the last minute you switch and it all worked out. Like, I love that. I love extracting those ideas from your story that you can change your mind in a very short amount of time and it can work out. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> the best advice I got at the time I remember was just like, there's no right or wrong decision. You've just got to make a decision and just like go for it and make it work for yourself. And so at that point I was like, well, I think I'm in control here. Like no matter what I'll do, I'll just try to make the best of it. And hopefully that will make things good. And it did. 
I hope so. I love that advice so much. That's exactly the mentality that I took into law as well was like, mm. if you don't know what you want to do, you have to do something. The time's going to pass <laughs> anyway. So you might as well do something that's going to open more doors than less doors. And yeah. as you progress, you'll figure out more along the way. Yeah, for sure. But as we know now, with the benefit of hindsight, <laughs> you have ended up on another completely different journey with an incredible, incredible business. How did that come about? So I did management consulting for like two and a half years, got to the end of it. And I was just like, I'm feeling itchy is the right word, I think. So essentially like there was this program run by Startmate, which is like one of Australia's biggest startup accelerators. And it was a program to bring, it was an amazing program to bring like essentially people from corporate into startups and help them navigate this world. Mm -hmm. So at the time I was like, okay, I want to go into startups. I want to find a job. I want to do product or growth, like something in that space, but I didn't know what. Anyway, that whole journey led me to meet amazing people in startups within Australia and also like some people in San Fran. And I guess like I just had these conversations where people were like, you can change the world and you can make such a big impact and like you can do anything you want. You can make like ocean cities like we were having that sort of conversation. And then I came back sort of like off the back of those conversations back into work where like, as you said, we were like in spreadsheets. And I remember coming back the day of and just being like, my job is now to reconcile that cell in Excel with that cell in Excel. What am I doing here? (laughs) I just like had that moment where I was just like, look, this isn't my everyday job and I know it. And like, I love, I actually really love consulting. And like, it was actually really stimulating a lot of like most of the times and really challenging. I just had that moment where I was like, this is a sign. Like, I don't think I'm supposed to be here. Like it was so out of body. And so from that point, I was just like, I'm, I'm very like zero, or, like all in or nothing. Yeah. Um, and so <laughs> from that point I was like, yeah, from that point I was like, okay, my motivation is just like, slowly decreasing um I'm gonna try and find what's next so I ended up uh having left because the way like projects work is like you if you go on to another project you stay for quite a long time so I ended up leaving without actually knowing what I was gonna do but I knew I wanted to be in startups so I just like kept talking to people kept talking to people and during that journey I had also just like tried to get my health back on track and so seeing the doctor and like been doing hormone tests during that getting my blood test done I'd found out from the doctor, he basically told me, hey, you have a thing called polycystic ovary syndrome. And I was like, cool, like, what's that? And he was just like, oh, it's this reproductive condition. It actually means you're infertile. And I was like, excuse me, what? Yeah, like, <laughs> what, or what do you mean? I was just like, no, I have plans to have children when I'm 35 or something. Like, what, what do you mean those plans aren't there anymore? Like, I just remember it was like a really anxiety-ridden experience that I was just like so stressed out about. And like, I just felt really isolated. Like, I couldn't talk to anyone about it. And I couldn't really explain why. I, just, I held it in so much. Mm. And he kind of just like left me with that. And I was just on my way. And I was like, okay, I will, I'll... I'll figure it out. Thanks. I'll just process that news all by myself. (laughs) Basically. And I remember just like, okay, the only way I'm going to feel like I'm in control is if I can get more information about this thing I supposedly have. And I went into Google and I just had the most horrible experience. And like, I don't think I'm super smart or like super dumb by any stretch of the imagination, but like, I couldn't understand what Google was trying to tell me. And it was either like very contradicting information or like things I couldn't understand unless like you had a PhD, which I don't. And yeah, I got a Google. I was like, why do I have more questions? I should have answers. Anyway, so I went to see a specialist and the specialist ended up telling me, hey, you don't actually have polycystic ovaries. Like the doctor just misdiagnosed you. And I was just like, okay, I've just spent two to three weeks in my own head being like, I can't have children. I can't have children. And I couldn't like, I don't know. I just couldn't tell anyone. And so off the back, and also like, even if you had this condition, like it actually doesn't mean you are infertile. Like, so that was also misinformation. 
So off the back of this, like I went to my friends, I was like, oh my God, this crazy thing just happened to me. I got misdiagnosed with polycystic ovary syndrome. And I think like when you tell someone something crazy that happened to you, the weirdest thing to hear back is like me too. And me and my friends, like we tell each other quite a bit, but they just started opening up about these things that they had gone through, like either being misdiagnosed, having like endometriosis, which is another very common um, reproductive condition, or like one of my like quite close friends also went through a miscarriage and I had no idea. And so like it kind of shook me and I was a bit like, okay, why aren't we talking about this stuff? We're quite close. Is it just us? And I think what it came down to was just like there was so much stigma around reproductive health and our fertility. And it just felt weird to me that even me and I, I find myself to be a modern woman, I don't know, for lack of a better word, but why aren't we talking about this stuff? And so I guess that was really the start and that niggly feeling kept coming back to me. I was like, we need to do something about this. It doesn't feel right. It doesn't feel right. And so that ended up leading to Kin. That is so cool. I love how much stories and whole business ideas and life purposes so often come out of your own personal experience. And Mm. particularly an experience like that, where I think I mentioned to you that I've been working on the Tom Organic podcast, which is based Mm. on that exact idea of like, I'm a chronic oversharer. I'm totally (laughs) not a prude and happy to share things. And I still, I'm exactly the same. For some reason, there are certain topics that are so much less discussed than others, even though they're the ones that affect us so much more intimately than every other one. Yeah. Even our own hormonal cycle. It's like, how did I get to 30 before I knew there were four phases? Like, what is that even about? How did that take me that long until I was researching to do a job that I was like, what? I shouldn't pitch things or do energetic things in this week. And I should do like, how do we get to this age in this modern era and not feel like we have control or support over our own bodies and our own health Yeah, and smart women who are informed about everything else going on. Like it's just bizarre. So tell us how you have been closing that gap with Kin and what it took to turn those first little niggles. Cause I think a lot of people have that. They have Mm. personal experience that shows them or reveals to them a big gap in the market how do you then turn that into okay this is the substantive way I'm going to close it Mm. this is how I'm going to build it this is how I'm going to what I'm going to call it this I'm going to do it with yeah I think we skate over those initial like zero to something steps and focus on the okay well after it was going this is what I did everyone's like no 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 no. go back to the beginning (laughs) rewind Yeah, yeah yeah like how did you think of a name and how did you decide which steps you were going to integrate first because I know there are different services you want to roll out Mm. yeah tell us the whole process of starting okay so kin right now is we want it to be a reproductive health platform for women so basically anything to do with sexual health fertility health or maternity health like we want to be able to help that um, at the moment, our first product or our first service has been basically Australia's first subscription service to the contraceptive pill delivered. So essentially like connecting women to doctors online to be able to receive safe and convenient access to the pill. But when we started, it was actually just a website and some information. And the real goal <laughs> behind when we started was just like, I had gone through this thing and I was like, information on the internet is crap. And there's a sea of misinformation and the first step of get gaining control and really like feeling like empowered to take control is better information so that you can actually make decisions about your own health. And I think that was really lacking in women's health and reproductive health, especially. So we're sort of like set out to attack that. And my experience through it all was just like 
gross stock images of people like bending over. Like it was just, all of it was just so gross and clinical and cold. And I was like, I don't want that. I want something like friendly, approachable, something people want to read and can relate to. And so the original vision for it was talking to your fertility specialist as if she was your best friend. And so what we did was we brought together fertility specialists with amazing talented writers and just synthesized all the, like downloaded all the information from the fertility specialist into words that people could actually understand and put that out into the world and put that on the internet. And that got so much traction and it got a huge audience behind it just like at the very beginning. And we were like, okay, hang on. There's something more to this. It's not just information people want. Like people are actually feeling empowered off the back of this. People know what their next steps are. People feel like they can ask questions and like know which questions to ask their doctors now. This is a real need in the market. It's not just me, um, which was what it was. You know, it's like, okay, can I just like not read the internet? But (laughs) (laughs) so I was like, okay, there's something here. What else can we do? And so the next step was, okay, there's there's so many things we want to do in reproductive health. So many like things we could tackle, like especially in maternity health and fertility health, but we need to start somewhere. And we decided like our team were all on the pill and all like sort of using contraception at that time. And we all faced the pain of going to the doctors, going to the pharmacies every few months to try and get the pill. And we were like, there has to be a better way. And so we decided to start with that and just build the thing that was going to, and design the thing that was going to really make access to the contraceptive pill much easier for women and get them talking about something that they use literally every day Mm. to then hopefully allow us to speak to them about the rest of their fertility journey and their reproductive health. I love that you decided to start with something really tangible and achievable Mm. because it is really hard at the beginning when you've got this huge vision and you sort of want to explain the whole thing at once and be like, this is (laughs) what I'm going to do. But if you overwhelm yourself with that, often you don't even get started because it's just this insurmountable project that you're like, where do I even begin? So it's, yeah, that's a really good lesson to just start with something that is, you know, is a, you know, a common situation. You guys are facing it yourself. Mm. It's alarming. Like I went on the pill when I was quite young because I was a ballerina and it was, you know, some people go on it for contraception. Mm. I was on it to be able to predict when my periods would come for performances, Mm. others for PCOS and endo. Like it's really important in symptom management, but you know, for whatever reason, you go on it and sort of 10 years later, I still didn't know how it worked. Like yeah. I just was on it. And then I was like, so like, what if I do this? It's just crazy how little, how few questions that we ask. What are some of the, like, the crazy misconceptions or things you've discovered in your journey that other women would really benefit from hearing okay so this is really silly and I probably should be more ashamed but I actually didn't know until I started kin that you ovulate and what ovulation was which sounds ridiculous because <laughs> yeah I don't think you're alone though no oh, I think the there thing. are so many women <laughs> that's the thing but like I don't even know if it's a misconception or more so just people don't even know like we know of ovulation but I think I grew up with the misconception of like I can get pregnant any time of the month oh yeah but it's not true I... it's like there's a small window of five to six days where we can actually get pregnant and it needs to be like during your ovulatory period I remember reading it and I was like hang on, wait, 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 hang on, like, we did not learn this in sex ed, like, oh my god, I thought if a boy sneezed on me, I was like, oh shit, I'm pregnant, oh, right? oh my god, like, don't right? touch me, cooties, 
<laughs> right? Like I remember movies where like girls and guys would be in the spa and be scared they were going to get pregnant. And I was like, that's me. Like, I, I, I don't want to go near boys. And so, yeah, like that was news to me. And I was like, okay, I really need to read up way, way, way more about things that are way more like complex than that to be able to help people. But yeah, like that was the biggest I guess, misconception that I found when I started Kim. It's such a revelation. Like I, it's, it's, it's crazy. It's absolutely crazy. And I'm so, so glad that trailblazers like you exist out there to spread this information in a much more digestible and approachable way that's not as intimidating and really destigmatizing the conversation. And I'm yeah honored to be able to spread that conversation through these kind of chats. In terms of where you want to take it next, building on the impact you're already having by mm. really taking out the pain points of a service that is so regular, so inevitable in so many women's lives. <laughs> I think one of the hardest things in any transition into business, whether from corporate or otherwise, is knowing who to go to when you need help and building the support network around you when it's mm. not a clear sort of, this is my boss, this is my senior associate, this is whatever it's really hard to know who has advice that's going to be relevant and who do you turn to. So for you, particularly coming from a completely different corporate background, who have you turned to? How did you get your venture capital that you've now become the client, which is so cool, (laughs) (laughs) getting funding, building out a team? Who have been your mentors and how have you built a support network around you to continue to grow this business? Yeah, I think everyone, almost everyone I meet in the startup community is some sort of mentor and some sort of support to me. Obviously, like big, big support network and mentorship from the investors we have. So we work with Blackbird and Eucalyptus and they are so supportive and very knowledgeable in what we're doing and just really try to understand the crux of like what it is that we're trying to do and what we need help with and how to like get to the next stage have been super, super critical. I think in terms of other mentors, the amazing thing when you come out of corporate where like Everyone is sort of a mentor in corporate in a structured way. Like, you know, the experts for certain different things in startups, everyone sort of have their like hidden talents and you kind of just talk to different people about your problems or about the things you're going through. And they're just like, Hey, you should talk to like so-and-so like they went through this like three months ago and you're like, yeah, that sounds great. Can I get a connection? And they're like, yeah, like I'll slack you. And it's just like, boom, like you get answers um, or just like people learn from people's stories and people's experiences right there. And like, it shortcuts you so much into not making the same mistakes that they go through and obviously like them paying that back and like advice to other people I don't know I find a lot of people in the startup community just so giving Mm -hmm. and then I I'm basically like average at everything I doubt that (laughs) genuinely like I'm like anyway I'm constantly hiring into spaces that I have no clue about whether it's content um, technology operations things like that and I think building that support network in your team that has been incredible and really leaning on them for advice and like how to grow together Mm, that's such a good point there two things really resonated just then one is that I think there's such a romance in wanting just like one mentor who's like your mentor forever who knows (laughs) everything but really you end up just forming a brain trust of lots of different people for lots of different topics and the other thing is that I think that you kind of tend to hire or want to hire people who have the exact same buzz as you Mm. because you're like I want more me's but actually you need more opposite of yous. You need people who yeah. feel the gaps in your skills. And especially when you're a lean startup and you're like, you can't just hire everyone you want. It's yeah. important to look for the people who have exactly what you don't have because you can't be everything for your business as much as I have tried. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think the really funny part of interviewing people for like things you actually know nothing about is you <laughs> stop interviewing, like you stop interviewing them like 
hey, I know the answer and like you just tell me what I think you should know. It's like almost like me asking them a question as advice yeah. and hoping that they'll answer me with like the answers I need to then do some part of what they will do um, and then bring them in. <laughs> so I don't even know the questions to ask you, but you seem right for the job. <laughs> Basically. So that leads really nicely into the next section, which is called an ATA that kind of covers all the stuff that doesn't get as much airtime, which mm. is really just the big challenges and barriers. And that whole idea of hiring people who are smarter than you in a particular area or filling the gaps in your own knowledge brings up that whole idea of self-doubt, <laughs> how self-critical we become. Uh, the fact that you even just said, I'm not good at, you know, I'm just like average at everything <laughs> is such a gross underestimation of your skills. But it's exactly where our minds go when we do something new or outside the comfort zone uh, and where we're putting ourselves out there as well. I think corporate, you get to have a certain level of anonymity in the work that you do, mm. whereas in small business, everything's social media and creative and assets and the story of the yeah. founder and you've got to be a little bit more accountable in terms of putting your face out there, mm. which then, of course, breeds self-doubt. Yeah. How has that played out for you as you've moved into something completely new and then what are the other big challenges that have faced you on the journey so far? Yeah, I mean, like to your point, right, like I think in corporate, you're largely doing things in private, you're not really showing your work. The weirdest thing and the biggest thing, like when I started doing Kin was even for our first website, I remember it was like three pages and like three pieces of content. I had this, oh God, oh my God, moment when it went out. <laughs> Where I was like supposed I to be really it. happy. Shit. Yeah, literally. Like it was supposed to be really happy. And I think I was happy. Like I, I tried to like celebrate with cake and stuff. But like inside, I just had all this anxiety. I was like, there's a typo somewhere. There's a typo somewhere. Find it. And it was just like that margin isn't aligned enough. <laughs> but like all of a sudden you have to show your work. And what that obviously leads to is like people being able to see and judge your work. And that's really scary. Like all of a sudden it's like you can't expect everyone to love it. And I can't, I can't expect everyone to like think it's perfect. And so that was a really big change for me I guess like finally being able to show people what I was doing and like allowing that to be seen and to be judged and like for people mm -hmm. to really comment on it and I think that was even bigger when we launched Kin um, the actual contraceptive service where obviously like the contraception comes with its own set of lovers and haters and I think what I really had to learn was that Kin wasn't going to be everything to everyone mm -hmm. and like we were trying to do our best for the people that this was going to help because I'm such a people pleaser. Like I think there was definitely a moment or like a long moment for me where I was just like, okay, the people we're helping, we're really helping and we're getting like really great feedback from them. People are literally telling us we're changing their lives and that they feel really empowered by the service. And that's what we're trying to achieve. And that's hopefully what we try to do for as many people as possible. But ultimately like this isn't going to be for everyone. And I guess I really had to like see that as reality and be okay with it mm. and just like try to help as many people as possible as much as I could and hopefully do right by them. That's such a big adjustment in any journey is when you go into something, particularly something that is an area where there aren't many players, usually you are going to draw a bit of criticism because you are blazing a trail. You are the first one that's brave enough to go and destigmatize something, which does mean that there are going to be people who are like, oh, <laughs> contraception, like there is, there's, it's a, women's health can be a really heated area, which can make it a lot harder for you to keep the blinkers on and stay focused. So I <laughs> admire you even more because you are sticking your neck out for 
the people out there who you are helping. And I think that's such an important reminder that all you have to worry about are your supporters, everyone else's opinion. You're not serving them. The service Mm. isn't for them. They can go and take control of their health in other ways. And the more energy you pour into the people who are benefiting, Mm. like that's where where the energy should flow. Yeah. the same. If like someone doesn't like me, like my business is one thing and (laughs) myself is another. I'm like, wait, you mean I can't be liked by everybody? Yeah. Like what is that about? (laughs) (laughs) Well, that's the thing, right? Like, and it's really hard to, I guess, delineate between what is real constructive criticism that you should take on and like Mm. help change your business for the better versus what is just not constructive and is almost like personal attack. Those are the hardest because you're almost like, I know I have the right intentions, but I don't know how to portray that like to one person at a time. I guess like feedback isn't constructive. You've just got to learn to like ignore those 1% and just like go back to the people who are supporting you and just be like, okay, I'm doing the right thing. I'm doing the right thing. Just like keep going, keep going. Yeah, Um, totally. I I actually have had like maybe one out of the like millions of listens that we've had on the podcast, like one of them (laughs) was once like, you know, the host is way too fluffy and if she like just shut up and like didn't love the sound of her own (laughs) and like I was so caught up on it because I'm like, it's a happiness podcast. Like it's like, it's so joy. Like I could not get over it. And Nick was like, can you just stop wasting time? Like you've wasted a whole week's worth of motivation on that one person who isn't even a repeat listener. Like, and it's just funny how our brains go there first before focusing on all the other people whose lives you've totally revolutionized. You're like, that one person who doesn't like me, I can't deal with it. (laughs) What about the fact that I think you're probably the kind of personality that's very similar to me in that hard work does doesn't scare you off if in fact if anything you're so caught your identity is so caught up in like Mm. showing that you're you're dedicated to things that you love and having any kind of what did you end up having that wasn't PCOS uh so I don't have anything um which is oh my gosh yeah I never got diagnosed with anything oh my gosh well then I'll rephrase the question (laughs) being just a normal person who wants to look after their health I think business really challenges your ability not to burn out because you've gone from a job with boundaries and a job with a boss who says these are your hours and then you become your own boss and you love what you do and you see the results of all your work and you're like, why would I ever rest? There's no incentive. (laughs) You found like (laughs) boundaries and maintaining your own health with the irony that a lot of people go into businesses that empower people with their well-being and then Mm. there's get sacrificed in the process. Yeah, especially at the beginning, you definitely have this temptation to do more and more and more and like just keep going because there is an unlimited amount of things you can keep doing before like this business is up and running. And even when it's up and running, it's like, there's so much more I could do and there's like no end point. Yeah. <laughs> like we could keep doing this business forever. And so that was a really hard line to draw. And I think, I guess like you just keep running and like I burnt out quite early and you don't know burnout until you like get there. Oh, and yeah. then you like feel it and you're like, okay, I think I'm burnt out. Like I'm definitely, I'm definitely burnt out. The biggest revelation for me was I stopped being able to show up properly in meetings or like during the day. And I think that really started to impact the way I was working and like how even just the motivation and the energy levels in the team, I wasn't able to like give that. And I hate doing this to just like people and friends in general. Like I hate being the energy drainer. I want to be the energy giver. And I think when I like realized I was draining people of their energy because of my energy levels, I think that's when I was like, okay, no, I think I need to change. Mm. And it's still a struggle. Like I'm definitely not perfect, but I think the biggest change, like I grew up, I guess like having 
always like work before play. Like I always had to do my homework before I was allowed to like watch TV. And so I had this like ingrained, I guess, attitude where I was like, no, I can't, I can't play because like I've got all this work. And so I kept like not playing. And so this, <laughs> this weird attitude where I was like, no, I've got to play first in order to be, be able to work better. And it was just like such a hard thing to change. So the other part of my like attitude that I learned as a child was like, don't waste money. So I would spend some money on like gyms or like boxing classes or whatever. And I was like, okay, I can't waste that money. I've got to go play or got to go like do exercise first so that I can like work better. And that's like sort of what's helped me so far, but definitely not perfect. Like it's, I'm, I'm a work in progress. I think we all are. Like I'm waiting for the day when I can say, yeah, I've got it under control, but I feel like that's just not going to happen. <laughs> so you mentioned play, which is uh, pretty much the whole of the next section. But before we move on to that, I just want to ask something I get asked all the time in the corporate to business jump is about convincing your family and getting people mm. on board with the idea of something that's so foreign, so sudden and so out of the scope of what you were, what everyone thought you'd be doing for the next 50 years. Yeah. And my answer is hard because I'm often, you know, I'm adopted. I have completely white country mm. bumpkin Australian parents. People expected me to have this like tiger parent Chinese school since I was three kind of thing. <laughs> and I'm like, honestly, <laughs> my parents are white. I, it wasn't a hard sell. Yeah. They have always been a little bit more open-minded than the kind of stereotypical Asian background that you might think that I had Mm. towards pathways outside of very stable conventional ones. Mm. And I've never had an answer for those people who are like, (laughs) my parents are ethnic. I've had a really immigrant background, like to help me. So can you provide some insight into the process of getting them a little bit more on board and selling them the idea slowly and Mm -hmm. dealing with the times when they weren't on board with it and you you had to push through that struggle because it's hard enough with your own brain yeah. being like, you can't do this, you can't do this, <laughs> let alone when others around you are challenged by it as well. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I think the biggest insight, which sounds really obvious, is your parents actually want the best for you or like your supporters want the best for you. And so when you're going down this different path, they instinctively might not believe it's the right path for you and that's what they're trying to protect you from. But ultimately, if you believe in it and if it's going to make you happy, that's actually going to make them happy. And I think the struggle I had at the beginning was because I wasn't communicating what was going to make me happy or what was like what I was going to do and why I was so excited about it and what that was like in comparison to. I was just like, I'm going to do this. And my parents were like, um, what is that? Like, help, try to, like, help me understand. Context, Nicole. <laughs> yeah, basically. And I think I, I was really impatient at the beginning and I was just like, why don't you understand? But it's like, I didn't take the time to make them understand. And I think that's your, like, that's ultimately your responsibility. I think there were so many times where like, I came home so stressed, crying, um, breaking down in my like old roles sometimes. And they were just like, why is this making you so upset? And I'm like, you don't understand. It's just not me. Like, it, this isn't what I'm built for. Like, I don't think I want to do this. When they see you in that state and then like when you get really excited about something else and you're like, I want to build something and I want to do startups, they're just like, well, I can either have a crying daughter or I can have a happy daughter. Like, what would I rather? (laughs) (laughs) And I think like that in and of itself gets them over the line. And I think if you're able to push, like it's your responsibility to push for your own life, Mm. but it's like your responsibility, therefore, to like have that open conversation and have that honest conversation with your parents to convince them and help them understand because they do come from like a very different background where survival was probably more the impetus rather than like doing something that brings them joy and brings them yay yeah like I've had to have really conversation like hard conversations with my parents but I think like I ultimately had to to really like bring them along the journey with me and help them understand what I was trying to do 
like it's not going to be easy but it's definitely worth it that is such great advice and in all cases like this is mass generalization about tiger parents like they're not definitely are not all like that <laughs> nor are all adoptive yeah. caucasian country belt parents always so understanding either <laughs> but i think for any in any situation that's such good advice that you have to have a certain level of empathy for people who are from different generations or different backgrounds. I like that you framed it as a responsibility because you can't just expect that when you mm. you change your mind, everyone around you is just going to fall into <laughs> line and be like, okay. Like it is something that you should take the time to explain and communicate mm. about and give people some context of why there's this dramatic change because otherwise you don't really give them a chance to get in your corner because they don't even know where that is. Yeah. And ultimately they're just trying to protect you from this thing that they don't understand. And if you don't let them understand that it's not that scary or it's scary, but it's okay. They're just going to stay that way. Yeah. And the other thing you said as well is that it's quite a new concept that work and yay should be related. Like work is always being something you just do, whether it fulfills you or not, or whether you're instantly gratified is like not even part of the equation. And we're just very lucky that that's even a question now. But that too, in itself involves other generations having different perspectives on whether or not that should be something we go after. Um, And I think patience and communication is a a really good tool in in that as well. So thank you so much for sharing that. On to play, my favourite favorite section because like you I didn't actually cultivate any form of play really until <laughs> like recently <laughs> but play TA is really just the section that explores the idea that we all should have a side of our personality that's detached from productivity and what we do for work and what we try and achieve or win at or be successful at <laughs> and that just brings us joy the things that we allow ourselves to do that are I define them as tasks that make you forget what time it is. If you're Mm -hmm. so engrossed in what you're doing that you detach from responsibility and time flow, then you're truly giving your brain a break. So Mm -hmm. what do you do for play? So I, I mean, more recently, I actually picked up boxing and it's been the most stress relieving, fun, I don't know, like empowering skill to learn. Like you just take it all out on the bags, no matter how much energy you have. And I don't know, it's been, it's been amazing. I actually think I might get like right before COVID hit and like restrictions started coming in, I was just about to learn to spar. So I'm actually really excited for everything to go back to normal so I can like properly learn to fight. I don't know what that says about me, but I'm excited. <laughs> know, I'm like, there is a violent streak in there somewhere that we didn't know about. <laughs> Basically. What about Netflix or podcasts or are you one of those people who's like, I don't even watch TV because those people are so virtuous. And I'm like, okay, we have nothing in common. I don't know what to say to you. (laughs) (laughs) No, I'm sorry. I can't be one of those people. I'm a massive reality TV show fan. So I'm like currently binging on MasterChef. If the block was on, that's literally my favorite. And this time of year is where I lose 40% of my productivity Mm -hmm. because it goes into reality TV shows and obsessing over that. So COVID's been good for your productivity because they're all not filming. So you don't have the block to distract you, right? Well, (laughs) except MasterChef because I can watch like repeat episodes over and over and over again. Okay. Yeah, great. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Um, And yeah, anything on Netflix. Oh my God, that's so interesting. What's something, I need some more recommendations. What would be your like latest fave on Netflix? Okay, so I don't know if this is a common one, but I'm in love with Dynasty. (gasps) It's basically like... (laughs) Do you know Nat Kelly is Australian? No. Is that the... That's the main character? The wife. The wife. Oh, my God. No, I had no idea. Not the long-haired brunette main character or like red-haired. Yeah. But the wife from season one, short hair. She's Aussie. Oh, my God. I had no idea. I love her. She's so gorgeous. So gorgeous. So (laughs) I agree with you. Not many people 
know it when I say it, but I'm no. obsessed with Dynasty. It's amazing. It's like there is a catch at every 15 minute intersection. You're just like, I can't keep up. Stop. <laughs> if I'm having a bad anxiety day, like, because every, ep- there's no neutral episode. Every episode is like, <laughs> like some days I'm like, it's too much. I'm going to get too emotionally involved. I have to turn it off. <laughs> Well, season three just came out, I'm pretty sure, last week. So I've been binging on it all weekend. Why did you even tell me? It's a Monday. I have a week <laughs> ahead of me, babe. <laughs> I, if I'm going down, you're coming down with me. Yeah. <laughs> so just to finish up, second last question, what are the three interesting things about you that don't normally come up in conversation? Okay. So I feel like I'm like leaving all my insecurities out on this podcast. <laughs> That's exactly what the podcast is all about. <laughs> So the first one is, so remember, I can't swim. I have this deep-rooted, irrational, unexplainable fear for coral. Um, oh, but you wouldn't you wouldn't get close to them, right? Because you don't swim near no. them? So, so just hear me out. Like, basically, like, I've gone maybe, like, what is it, snorkeling a couple of times. But essentially, like, when you're underwater, you've got your goggles on, you're, like, Flippering, to, flippering, swimming towards the <laughs> coral. The coral actually looks like it's moving. And I have this like really big fear that it will just like eat me up, even though like I know <laughs> I don't have a very good like depth of perception, but it feels really close and it feels like it's just bringing me towards it. So I just like literally, I'm not joking, have panic attacks in the water where I just like have to come up for air and just like swim right back. Oh my God, that's um, why you don't terrible. like swimming. It all makes no, sense like- now. <laughs> all connected because I need to learn to swim so I don't get so scared so like I know I can swim away from the coral if it tries to eat me oh yeah doggy paddle's not gonna get you anywhere (laughs) anywhere too fast (laughs) no that's a great one Uh, the second one so when I was around 14 or 15 I got rejected from Macca's as my first job they wouldn't accept me as an employee and I was like devastated because Macca's tastes like almost anyone the threshold is so so low (laughs) and so my confidence was so like hit um and I just like I'm gonna like learn how to like make coffee I'm gonna learn how to like make sandwiches and I just like became a barista instead but I was like pretty upset at Macca's for a while oh my god and best training program ever (laughs) but also now you're like "Uh -uh, I I was a banker I was a consultant I'm a business owner take that Macca's (laughs) this is your your revenge business (laughs) (laughs) basically and third one okay so if I had to go on any reality tv show and I don't like usually like being in front of cameras I am obsessed with the block and I reckon I'm secretly going to do an audition with like someone on my team um, for the block. Like, do you have an office? secretly angling for them. We, ha- we have an office. Oh, so you could we get them office. to do like the office? You could like, it could be your oh office as like a reno? That is genius. We should actually do this. We, like we actually have quite an off- a small old office building so we could probably renovate it. You could put that in your pitch video. Be like, perfect space, perfect <laughs> opportunity. Amazing. <laughs> last question what's your favorite quote oh so my favorite quote I can't remember where I heard this from but I love it being fearless isn't the absence of fear being fearless is taking actions in spite of fear and I absolutely love this because it really resonated with like especially the time before I just jumped into kin where like one of the founders that I was actually talking to um and just like throwing my anxiety at him being like I don't know what I'm gonna do (laughs) he was just like 
all this imposter syndrome and all this anxiety you're feeling like is normal and you should lean into it. And I was like, what? No, you, like lean into imposter syndrome. What do you mean? And you're just like, if you're feeling conf- like super, super confident and like, you know what you're going to like do and exactly how you're going to do it, you're probably doing something wrong. Mm-hmm. You're like, anxiety or whatever you're feeling actually will make you work harder it will make you ask the right questions it will make you find support in the right areas and that's what's going to help you build an incredible business versus like thinking you know it all and that really helped me like I think feel more comfortable in taking the leap despite feeling terrified um, about what we're going to do and yeah like really resonated with me that's such a beautiful one. I really think that, especially through all these conversations on the podcast, the common thread of everyone is not that they've lost their self-doubt as they became more successful. Mm. It's that they just know what to do with it. Mm. It never really goes. They just acknowledge it as sort of a protection mechanism. And rather Mm. than listening to it and letting it dictate your decisions, they're like, okay, cool. Now I know how to manage it. So we're all the same. We all have it. The difference is knowing what to do. And I I love that reminder that it's supposed to, it's actually a good sign. It means you're not Mm. complacent. You're not ever stopping evaluating if you're learning or you're doing the right thing. I kind of think I'd worry about myself if I didn't (laughs) have it. I'd be like, oh, Maybe I'm in my comfort zone. Like maybe it's time for another step. Yeah. I love that. Yeah, absolutely. What a beautiful way to end. Thank you so, so much for joining and for all the incredible work that you're doing for women out there and and society at large. I think it's such an important, important movement. Thank you so much for telling us about it. No, thank you for having me on. I had a blast. Oh, she is such a bundle of giggles, but also doing such incredibly impactful things. I hope you learned a thing or two and that some of you can benefit from Kin's wonderful services. Check them out and please give them a follow at kin.fertility. And of course, share and tag this episode if you've been enjoying as you listen along. I love sharing behind the scenes of stories you've encountered before, but equally enjoy putting a spotlight on those you don't hear from as often or who are new to the game. So thank you so much, Nicole, for your time. Hope you're having a wonderful day and a seizing your yay.